Yep, with me, Sham, and our panelists. That's Hafiz Marzuki from Astro Awani and Annabelle Lee from Malaysia Kini. So recently, uh, we heard about the education minister, which was which was uh, Dr. Mazli Malik, who has resigned. And now, Tun Dr. Mahathir Mohamad, the prime minister, is also the interim education minister. We're asking this morning, is it better to have an interim minister or pick a replacement immediately? I thought, you know, pick a replacement immediately. What's the problem with that, right? I think, Sham, we have to look at it as education is a critical portfolio. And looking back at the previous person who was in the position, it is important for Tun Dr. Mahade to pick thoroughly his next pick. Because if you look at the 26 candidates from Bersatu, the Bersatu lawmakers in currently in parliament, almost all of them have positions already. In fact, 14 of them are defectors from AMNO. So, it is quite hard to, to pick one immediately, considering none of them have any experience. Right. Correct. Uh, I think if they could have chosen someone immediately, they would have. And the reason we need an interim is because they need time to decide who is the best candidate and like Hafiz mentioned um, it's going to be from Persatu the choices are somewhat limited I guess compared to the other parties and I think the key question is as interim what is Mahathir actually going to do as far as I understand as an acting minister you have the similar powers as a, as a full minister and yesterday he said he wanted to look at some problems and look at some solutions so it looks like it sounds like Mahathir actually wants to do a few things before he picks his ne- next person which is going to be very interesting I right think. Or on the subject that maybe, you know, having a more solid, a new education minister instead of prime minister sitting for two ministerial posts, which is something, well, if if people are still talking about manifestos, then they would have broken that promise a little bit. Would you think that even if it was a minister without experience, could they not be considered? I mean, we're looking at things like um, the current ministers, they never had any um, experience being ministers, sex addicts, youth and sports, even uh, Mr. Lim Guan Eng as finance minister as well. So couldn't others be explored or considered? Of course it can be considered sharp. This kind of problem is not plaguing just Malaysia. If we look at other countries, let's say uh, Canada for example, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had that same problem. In 2015 when they pick a cabinet, it is very important to not just look at their solid credentials but uh, do they have practical political knowledge to run a ministry. That is the key important. Dr. Mazli is a great guy. He had a lot of ideas but at the end of the day, the, the political reality kicks in. You have to know how to run a ministry. You have to know how to deal with the public and the press and this is where he's sorely lacking in that matter. Uh, what's happening right now with the education is so to not the Mahathir Mohamad, our Prime Minister, has been appointed as the um, Interim Education Minister. So lots of talks have been happening including we hear words of there is a proposal to split the education ministry in two which is going back to the old model which is higher education and then education as well. So what are your thoughts on the proposal guys? I think uh, I'm actually a proponent of a single portfolio because all you need is someone who will be able to handle the education portfolio from early childhood all the way up to higher education. But I understand the need or the feeling of wanting to split it because it is such a heavy portfolio and it requires a different, I would say, mindset and vision for each. Uh, and especially with, with a new government, it is even more imperative to ensure that both these portfolios, education as well as higher education, are given due process in terms of uh, running it. Any thoughts, Annabelle? I think... Of course, they're both important. I think the ministry, how it works, they are actually civil servants who look after higher education and their service servants, they are, you know, their departments, they look after you know the other parts of education. I think two ministries is actually a good idea because I think Mazdi, we've seen Dr. Mazdi really struggle with kind of straggling both sides, right? Both have different priorities on kind of education. There's like reform of the syllabus, there's uh, funding, there's, you know, the breakfast program and all that. But for universities, it's a completely different ballgame. You want autonomy. 
autonomy, you want academic freedom, you want courses that are you know future proof. These people are saying that they want that, right? And funding for universities. So it's quite different, but also co- you need them to be coherent, but you need them to be both equally strong. All right. And in terms of merit, how will this benefit Malaysians if the education ministry is split into two, you think, um, Annabelle? I would say you have two people heading it. So you have more people on deck, more hands on deck trying to solve the many issues. It's not just one person. It's a lot of pressure, really. It's a lot of pressure. Everyone's demanding something, you know. So I think having another person to to really think about it, having another brain, there is merit, I believe. And that's why BN did it in the past. I don't think it's a bad idea. Decentralization would would definitely help. I, I I totally agree with what Annabelle said, but I'm coming from a from a view that uh, it is important because if you look during BN's time, yes, that portfolio was split, but it was about giving more people posts in cabinet. If you get someone who is actually uh, competent enough, you can actually handle the education portfolio. All right. We all knew about the last week, which was the week of revolutions. So MACC Chief Latifa Koya revealed uh, some recordings that said to be the voices of some high-profile individuals involving high-profile cases. And of course, right now, people are already asking questions about ethical questions and also whether it is okay for these sorts of surveillance to be happening. So the de facto law minister, minister in the Prime Minister's Department, Datuk Liu Viu Kong, has said, so you cannot do it unilaterally uh, where you conduct electronic surveillance, but you can do it there is a provision of it in the law it's just that you have to, to do it the right way maybe some of you could, would be able to explain that after this but we are also asking the question who has access to this surveillance and, and can it be abused maybe you can start Annabelle yeah I think first of all let's look at what is allowed under <coughs> Malaysian law whether it's right or wrong whether, it, <coughs> whether it's constitutional I think that has not been challenged yet but section 16 of the criminal procedure code states that the public prosecutor which in Malaysia is the attorney general can authorise the police to intercept, listen or record any communications, any conversations, which, you know, where there's a likelihood that there is an offence being committed. Yeah, so there must be some some sort of like doubt or some sort of, you know, information that there might be some hanky-panky going on and then the public prosecutor can authorise the police to do this, right? They can also require communications providers, service providers to intercept or even install devices to, to do this sort of surveillance. So that is what is allowed under the Criminal Procedure Code as I did, that's just how I read it and that's how it, it, it's been done but in this case what, what MACC did is they did not reveal you know it was an anonymous source yeah. right we don't know if the AG at the time which was Apandi Ali Tan Sri Apandi Ali we don't know if he actually gave the order for the police or you know a service provider to tap the right. Prime Minister's phone but technically by law anyone it doesn't say that the Prime Minister is exempt from this anyone yeah. you, me even Mahathir if the public prosecutor deems it you know fit there's a reason for it they right can actually order for this. Now, but I would ask you, um, Hafiz, about... uh, I mean, you can't run away from Malaysians asking about their privacy now. How can the country assure Malaysians of their privacy in light of these recordings coming out? Yeah, actually, when when I looked at it, yeah, I was a bit worried initially. But if you look in this age, everything, there are other ways, you know, hackers, you know, we live in this age where everything is... There's there's not really any privacy. You just got to stay out of trouble. Just don't do, just don't do anything, you know, anything shady or anything, and I guess you'll be fine. Okay, so we have a by-election this weekend, which is the Kimanis by-election all the way in Sabah, and politicians generally say a lot of things during campaigning. Some uh, are, uh, you know, are okay, some are pretty bad. So recently, I think our former Prime Minister Datuk Sri Najib was there, and some people might have thought that what he said was a little harsh, or just harsh, calling the Warisan candidate an old horse who should be butchered. Now, uh, I think we used to what people are saying during campaigning for by 
by-elections or any elections. But what we're asking here, does this type of dialogue work for him in terms of his public image? I think it's part of his boss school persona. I mean, he has turned himself, he has styled himself as a very combative opposition politician and it seems to work in his favour. Uh, he seems to be gaining uh, new fans, apparently. Uh, his, his engagement on his uh, Facebook page is like through the roof. So it, it is working for him in terms of engagement but as far as support goes I'm not sure this is someone that Malaysians in general want to support but Malaysians may want to hear what he has to say uh, it is not in my place I believe to think but to gauge his support but I believe this kind of dialogue shouldn't be used actually especially as we move in Malaysia Baru you know? Similar I totally agree this was him in full kind of bosku mode right you know and it's a, it's a Sabahan term as well you know yeah. uh, the whole bosku thing but this is not your pre-G14 serious Najib you know this is a very different persona so this whole jokey casual yeah. you know calling people an old horse it, it, I, I think it's actually very in, in, in line with this whole per, new persona that he is kind of showing but in terms of public image you know whether this works in his favour or not I think there are other things right now that are kind of overshadowing the whole Bosco thing like we, meant, we just discussed the whole MACC recordings um, you know can I advise you something you know yep. that is becoming the yep. new thing that people attach to him so I think as much as he is trying there are other things compared competing as well to try and you know that's what people are looking at as well the other things and also Datuk Sri Najib questioned what Warisan candidate uh, Karim Bujang did for five terms uh, okay if you could tell us about some, some of the track records of the Bongawan Assemblyman and, and if Datuk Sri Najib's claims are true that, I actually couldn't find anything yeah on, actually, on actually Datuk, Datuk Karim was a former Barisan uh, adun mm. and if what Najib were to say is based on his track record at the end of the day uh, he was part of that administration who authorized the the uh, Datuk Karim as a candidate. What is important for Kalimani's voters, the way I see it is which party or which candidate can give me more. And in their case, in Kalimani's, it is imp- I would say it's more important to have a government candidate. That that because that that way they'll bring development in is easier. All right, now petrol subsidies with subsidies or no subsidies. It's been a discussion for a very long time. So recently, what has happened was the new uh, targeted subsidies for B40 and M40 were supposed to roll out in January 2020. Uh, uh, but at the end of December 2019, it was announced that um, it's being postponed. Now, uh, but at the same time, right now, I think they've opened up the registrations for the M40 group. We're, we're asking here, uh, how will these, um, or about these subsidies? Now, when it comes about to subsidies, some who understand that sometimes if you give too much subsidies, it's not good for the government funding and things like that. It gives, I mean, people are happy you get to pay for cheap petrol, but how will these targeted subsidies be distributed first? That's what we're asking. Annabelle, maybe? So if they are using the, the mechanism that they announced previously, I think it was in October, just before the budget, um, so the two ways it's going to be done for B40 who are on Bantuan Sarahidup, you get 30 ringgit for a car each month, uh, 30 ringgit uh, yeah, for a car each month and 12 ringgit for a motorcycle and the criteria for the cars and the motorcycles yeah but basically these are going to be banked into your BSH linked bank account so that's the for the B40 for the M40 so they, they at first it was just the B40 and then people were like hey M40 should get it too yeah. and then they decided okay let's open this up to M42 but of course that's going to cost more you know but for M40 basically what the, the previous uh, mechanism was that you get a fuel card it's called a card 95 or something and basically you are limited to 100 liters for cars 40 liters for motorcycles per month the subsidy is 30 cent per liter of Ron 95. Yeah? yeah. But 
but but now you know now they've postponed this, and based on what the minister is saying, you know Datuk Sri Saifuddin, he's saying that possibly they don't even want to use a card anymore. They're considering now. Uh, cash, you know, similar to the whole B40 scheme. Ah, okay. So there's a bit of confusion here. I'm also not sure what's going on. But basically, I think now they're reviewing. The reason why they've postponed it is because some, 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 you know, registration is not in place. But also they want to look at the mechanism. How do we want to implement this best? Okay. But correct, like you mentioned, Sham, this is going to cost a lot of money. I think it's two point two billion. The last time someone counted. Yeah. I guess different people would have different opinions on it. Um, generally, people love uh, not to pay anything at all for petrol, <laughs> which is impossible. So, f- so you pay cheap petrol but at the same time we are concerned about giving too much subsidies would mean it's a lot of spending on the government side so we're asking also should these subsidies be limited to the B40 group I think it stems uh, well, why this decision was made is because the moment they announced it for the B40 the M40 suddenly went up and said hey what about us yeah. you know like are, are we get, aren't we getting anything but but I think the, the issue should be handled a bit differently it's not like I'll give you an apple to the B40. I also give you an apple to the M40. Each of these uh, segments requires different. Maybe it should be in terms of tax breaks for the M40. Maybe you should uh, introduce more tax cuts, income tax cuts. Maybe that's how you do it rather than just apple to apple, just giving, okay, I give petrol subsidy for B40, petrol subsidy for M40. But I'm no economist no, and I'm yeah. not in the administration. But, but my view is that we shouldn't be... Re- subsidy reliant we shouldn't be a subsidy reliant uh, community so it's it might not be a policy that fits all it, it might uh, but we probably have to break it down and look into it in detail thank you so much annabelle lee and also hafiz thank you so uh, much for, for coming us. here